Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is literary editor Philip Terzian. And when the events occurred in Orlando, the Islamist-inspired violence at the Pulse nightclub, I mentioned to some folks here in the building, Phil, that I was thinking about asking you to talk about the events. And they said, like, well, why would you talk to the literary guy? And I said, well, first, he knows a lot of stuff. But secondly, I often find that when something profound happens— Books, films, other works of art help inform our view, help us understand them. And I was wondering if you could suggest for us three books for people who want to put the horrific attack in Orlando and the Islamist conflict with liberal Western values in perspective. What would those books be? Well, the three books I would suggest, and I, I agree with you, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always useful to read the um, history of these things. The three that almost immediately occurred to me were The Clash of Civilizations by Samuel P. Huntington, uh, which was published exactly 20 years ago this year. Samuel P. Huntington is now dead, was a professor of history at Harvard. And he was the person who first posited the idea that uh, in the modern era, um, there is a growing conflict between what we will, for want of a better word, call the West and the Islamic East. Now, he didn't think that this was necessarily uh, going to lead to violence, but that there were cultural and political and geopolitical conflicts on the way. And, and one might argue that if you see the West in a kind of slow decline or uncertainty about itself, there's been a kind of resurgence in the Islamic world. And so I, The Clash of Civilizations is worth reading for the very long and broad uh, historic background he gives to that. And it's interesting to me, the conversations that I've seen just in the last 72 hours, writers for The Atlantic and for Time, where you would expect more of the kind of PC, you know, typical political stance of uh, members of the Muslim community looking at their fellow liberals and saying, you need to understand this really does involve Islam, the teachings of Islam, how Islam is practiced. You keep trying to talk past it, but you can't. In other words, are more people acknowledging that there is this clash between Western values and the values that the Islamists hold and want to spread? I think there is. And I think there's I think one hopeful sign is that you see that among Muslims who just as Christians will acknowledge there are problems with the Christian West uh, that have been addressed over history. Uh, Islam is now wrestling with that, not as not in quite the way we would like, because there still is a kind of reflexive defense of this about this, not only in the Islamic world, but also in the West. I mean, there's just absolute resistance to which we see in President Obama and other people to to describe these events for what they are. And um, there are a variety of reasons for that. W one of the other books that I chose um, was a, a book that uh, came out uh, in 2007 by Norman Podhoritz, the former editor of the of Commentary, um, which was um, much criticized at the time, but it was entitled World War IV, The Long Struggle Against Islamofascism. And the interesting thing about Podhoritz's book is that we've been in a kind of denial about the whole phenomenon. And in the 20 years prior to the, well, 30 years prior to the publication of that book, there was a series of events where um, Islamists were attacking the West, either in the Middle East or in Europe, now in the United States. And by 9-11, it finally dawned on us that this is real. It actually is happening. And we haven't really been willing to acknowledge the, the depth of the problem and the potential 
um, uh, seriousness of it. Um, and of course, you know, you can't keep people at a fever pitch indefinitely. So you have to be periodically reminded of this. I mean, we'll go several months without any particular incident. And then something like this reminds us that, well, ISIS is a problem. It's over there, but now they're over here, as they've said they would be. Now, it's interesting. Uh, the first book, Clash of Civilization, second one's World War. There are a lot of people who object to this notion, and you see it with President Obama and the way he talks about it, that there is some sort of uh, fundamental non-negotiable conflict that, you know, other religions, you know, you, you had uh, Mormonism as an example, where Mormonism had polygamy, and then they wanted to have statehood, and then there was kind of a theological shift. You've had, in Christianity, great, not just reformations, but fundamentally the, fundamental theological shiftings, issues like same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships. You see this change. Why do these writers suggest that that model of the, you know, the change, the evolution, whatever, of other world religions doesn't apply today to Islam. Well, some historians would argue that part of the problem with Islam is that it's a it's a a religion that has not really had a reformation. It, there hasn't been a lot of internal debate. There are it's a, it's a divided religion. Um, there are huge conflicts within Islam, as anyone who has any political experience of the Middle East can attest. But Islam itself um, has not been debated and refined in the way that other major religions have been. And yet, at the same time, it has a tremendous uh, mass appeal in that part of the world, which mixed in with political factors um, makes for a, a very dangerous brew. This isn't a criticism of Islam per se. It's a problem within Islam that Islam needs to address. So, Phil, when I asked you about sharing books with us, and I said, what book sprang to mind once you saw the events rolling out in Orlando? I was expecting you to say one of the books you've already mentioned or maybe something by Bernard Lewis, but you stunned me. You mentioned a book about the JFK assassination. Why? Well, that was based on reading the newspaper the next day after the event. Uh, the book that I mentioned was entitled uh, Camelot and the Cultural Revolution by James Pearson. Um, it has always intrigued me that um, the Kennedy assassination, uh, Kennedy was was murdered by a standard left-wing political activist, a, a fellow who'd actually defected to the Soviet Union. He was chairman of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee in New Orleans. A standard issue left-winger shot and killed John F. Kennedy, but it is generally understood culturally in America that Kennedy didn't die at the hands of a leftist. He died because he was in Dallas, Texas, that capital of right-wing hate. And in, in these circumstances, uh, something similar is going on. We have a man walked into the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. He had pledged allegiance to the Islamic State. He literally shouted Allah, Allahu Akbar as he slaughtered the 49 or 50 people who were killed and others wounded. Um, and yet there has just been this tremendous outpouring of analysis to the effect that it really has nothing to do with ISIS or uh, Islamism or anything like that. It's really the atmosphere of hate in the United States. It's the absence of proper gun control. It's the uh, rhetoric that Donald Trump has been using on the campaign trail. Just about everything you can think of that is um, not associated with what prompted the man who actually committed the crime. 
It is fascinating. I have a piece on the Weekly Standard blog page where I pointed out that the guy did everything but wear a T-shirt that said, I'm with ISIS, stupid. And still you had headlines as late as Tuesday night, so almost 48 hours afterwards reading, authorities continue to investigate, seek, seek motive. And when you said the JFK thing, I just... I was like, yes, because you're absolutely right. We know Lee, who Lee Harvey Oswald was. We know he was you know, pro-communist. We know his far left leanings. Sadly, the average person in America would tell you that it was Kiefer Sutherland's dad who killed him <laughs> because they saw the movie right. with Kevin Costner. But they would say, oh, yeah, he was shot by was some the, right winger, right? John Birch Society yeah, something or something like that. Like that. Um, or the Dallas Morning News or whatever newspaper was whipping up a frenzy of right wing hate against Kennedy. And of course, it's the opposite of the truth. And no, you're absolutely right. The, the Washington Post yesterday had a, a lead story that we we still don't know the uh, the motive behind the shootings. Well, we know perfectly well what the, the shooter told us what his motives were. I think, but I think it represents a real, uh, uh, almost physical resistance to acknowledge that in certain uh, political circles in our country. They, it's much easier and more comfortable to blame the uh, the people they don't like than to acknowledge the truth of the matter. And the lesson from the JFK story is that it is possible for a completely false narrative to take over. I mean, a lot of people like myself just want to believe that the truth will out. Well, no, not necessarily. No, if you control the narrative, you you control you're you're in a pretty good position. And um, people like us who uh, who are speaking footnotes at the moment, <laughs> we we don't control the narrative. So one more time, what are the titles of the three books you'd recommend for people who want to have a broader understanding of the struggle between Islam and Western values today? Uh, the Clash of Civilizations by Samuel P. Huntington, World War IV by Norman Podhoritz, and Camelot and the Cultural Revolution by James Pearson. Literary editor for The Weekly Standard, Philip Terzian, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.